Hello, and welcome to The Right Side of History, a show dedicated to exploring current events through a historical lens and busting left-wing myths about figures and events of America's past. My name is Jarrett Stepman, a contributor to The Daily Signal. And I'm Fred Lucas, White House correspondent for The Daily Signal. And this week we are talking about guns, the history of gun rights and gun control, and the many inaccuracies about that history peddled by the media. So, Fred, of course, you know, in recent times we've seen, of course, post-Parkland shooting, we've seen an enormous upsurge in uh, protests and uh, perhaps calls to uh, curtail gun rights in this country. And, And even now, a more recent call by a former Supreme Court justice, uh, to actually get rid of the Second Amendment. So we're seeing a huge uh, attack on essentially gun rights in this country. But of course, the issue of gun control has actually been around for, for a while, and it's been debated. Can you kind of talk about some of these early debates about gun control, Fred? Well, yeah. One, one uh, case, I want to quote a Republican congressman who delivered a very impassioned speech on the House floor. He said, I'm quoting, uh, you disarm a community and you Rob them of the means of defending life. Take away their weapons of defense, and you take away the inalienable right to defend liberty. These are the type of comments that would uh, cause someone to be labeled by the participants at the March for Our Life as uh, someone bought and paid for by NRA blood money. <laughs> the problem with that, that would not be the case uh, of, because these words were, came from Congressman Thaddeus Stevens. Uh, They were delivered three years before the founding of the NRA. Uh, Stevens was talking about this was a debate over the adoption of the 14th Amendment. Uh, He went on to say the 14th Amendment now so happily adopted settles the whole question. And in this case, they were talking about uh, fundamental to the adoption of the 14th Amendment was applying um, individual rights, namely the right to bear arms, which is key and in this debate uh, to the states. And this was during the uh, Black Codes, later the Jim Crow era and so forth. Yeah, that's what's really interesting here, because, of course, these these modern marches we've seen, uh, certainly as of late, a lot of the protesters have kind of compared themselves to civil rights movement and things like this. And I, I think there's this this narrative out there that trying to uh, enact some kind of gun control is a civil rights measure. But I think when you, you really look at the long history of the gun debate in America, that the, the Second Amendment has very much gone in line with civil rights in this country that is seen as a protector of individual rights. And of course, after the Civil War, and certainly before it, there were attempts to restrict the individual rights of citizens to bear arms, mostly black uh, Americans who were in the the antebellum South and then the Reconstruction era South. There was a lot of attempts by state governments to uh, essentially take away the the rights of free people the right to bear arms, which in many ways is the defender of, well, all other rights. I mean, a person cannot have liberty if they're being threatened by their community, if they're being threatened by their government. The last line of defense uh, is that firearm. And there was a actually there's a very interesting quote recently by Condoleezza Rice, who was a, a former secretary of state. She was asked about this gun control issue uh, in a recent interview with the, the View. And she said, let me tell you why I'm a defender of the Second Amendment. I was a little girl growing up in Birmingham, Alabama in the late 50s, early 60s. There was no way that Bull Connor and the Birmingham police were going to protect you. I'm sure if Bull Connor had known where those guns were, he would have rounded them up. 
So I don't favor some things like gun registration, which I think is a very interesting thing in this whole narrative. As we've seen so many uh, people saying that, you know, gun control is such an important measure. It's a, a measure of, of civil rights that, you know, Fred, it, it, it's really been in many ways a guarantee uh, of individual rights, and especially for a lot of uh, black Americans in history who, you know, those rights came under siege. Right. There was a case in 1956, the Reverend Martin Luther King, after his house was firebombed, he applied for a gun permit, and but the authorities in Alabama said that he was not suitable to have a gun permit. And so that was an example of gun control laws earlier in this last century. So inter- interestingly enough, the NRA, I, I mentioned it was a, they were founded in 1871, a few years after that Thaddeus Stevens speech. So we know he wasn't bought and paid for. <laughs> but it was founded by two uh, union veterans, Colonel William C. Church and General George Wingate. It was to, quote, promote and encourage rifle shooting on a scientific basis because they found that going back to the war, uh, a lot of their troops were woefully uh, unskilled as marksmen. Yeah, it's it's really interesting that especially just after the war, you know, we, we actually talked about a little bit about Frederick Douglass, who was an abolitionist uh, on a, a previous show on the right side of history. But, you know, he actually warned uh, in a speech at one point that the work of abolitionists is not finished until the Second Amendment and other rights could be protected. So I, I I think this is a really interesting thing. Certainly in the the Reconstruction era South, you know, gun rights are really seen as the the last line of defense for people, and and uh, especially in the year 1892, I think is a, is a big one because uh, that year there were a I mean really an incredible number of lynchings that had taken place in the South, a lot of violence. And there was, in fact, the the early NAACP, which was created around that time, and very much was uh, supportive of gun rights. I, you know, I, I think there was a, one of the early organizers, Ida B. Wells. Uh, you know, she explained, she talked about these lynchings and it, the importance of the Second Amendment, the importance of having gun ownership. And she said that uh, the only times an Afro American who was assaulted got away. Uh, has been when he had a gun and used it in self-defense. The lesson this teaches, in which every Afro-American should ponder well, is that a Winchester rifle should have a place of honor in every black home, and it should be used for that protection which the law refuses to give. And I think that's a very good description uh, of why we have things like, like the Second Amendment. I mean, this really is to protect the individual rights of citizens. This is not necessarily a, a communal right or, as some would say, a state right. It's the right of self-defense for individual Americans, isn't it, Fred? Yeah, and, and this was actually recognized by much of the judiciary, uh, even by those jurists who didn't want that uh, right applied to all individual Americans, particularly uh, Chief Justice Roger Taney and the very famous, actually infamous, Tred Scott decision. He uh, made this argument that blacks cannot be citizens because if they were citizens, quote, it would give them the full liberty to keep and carry arms wherever they went. It's incredible. You know, it's uh, it's that that decision, of course, snowballed and led us to into the Civil War. So absolutely, I I, I did notice recently that the Washington Post ran this article with a headline that said, "Gun rights are about keeping white men on top." And it's a very explosive article. But what I thought was interesting, and of course, this article was trying to say essentially that gun rights advocates are maybe in league with white supremacy, things like this. But I mean, he even in the article talks about some of the history about some of these gun control laws going against 
against black citizens. And it's it's quite obvious that the white supremacy came from those who were trying to implement gun control earlier in American history, that it wasn't come, coming from those who were trying to defend gun rights, individual rights. It was those who tried to prevent certain American citizens from having access to firearms, that it was really an attack on those things. Yeah, particularly at the state level. Uh, what kind of interesting thing? I mean, there, there's people can debate all day about what party, whether they're consistent with the party that, that it began as a, you know, a century ago, but it sort of seems like the Democrats and Republicans have sort of been on the same side of the gun issue from day one. Uh, Absolutely. Uh, It's certainly something that, uh, you know, certainly an important issue in our time. I think um, think that in in kind of continuous debate about, you know, the Supreme Court and and gun rights, I think Clarence Thomas in particular uh, really elucidated this this battle through history and talking about the Second Amendment in terms of the 14th Amendment, because you really can't talk about this uh, without understanding that the 14th Amendment really is uh, what allows the Second Amendment to be applied to individual citizens. I mean, before the Civil War, um, a lot of the Bill of Rights did not apply to the states. And this was kind of something that the creators of the 14th Amendment wanted to change. They wanted to correct. And the Second Amendment was seen as a large part of that because, again, uh, the, the right of the people was so much violated by state governments who went in. So there is this kind of tension being this, between this idea of individual rights and, and state rights and things like that. And um, we've seen a lot of, especially now, a former liberal justice kind of take the side of states' rights over the individual rights and saying that essentially that it's a fraud to the, this idea that the Second Amendment is an individual right guaranteed by the Constitution. Yeah, it gets into that whole uh, issue of, I, I guess, federalism. and But federalism, I think, is Tenth Amendment uh, from, from that standpoint. It's not giving the federal government itself that much power. Uh, but it's I think the founders, it's a cherished position in America that uh, individual rights take precedence over a state's rights or a government's rights or a collective right. Absolutely. So, the, the, again, the, this this article that was written by uh, Justice John Paul Stevens, I thought was was very interesting. You know, he was calling, not just he was saying that the Second Amendment was invalid, he was actually calling for an end of the Second Amendment in America. And uh, I thought there was a lot of, unfortunately, misinformation, certainly about John Paul Stevens. I think uh, Joy Reid of MSNBC called him a Conservative Republican justice, which, which yeah, Fred, I, I, you know, I, I know that you know maybe people don't know the history right. of the Supreme Court, but he was among the most liberal members uh, of the Supreme Court right. for a very long time, wouldn't you say? Yeah, yeah, I think so. I mean, he was consistently in the uh, when there was a five-four split, he consistently was sided with the liberals. I think maybe she, Joy Reid, might have done a, a Wikipedia search and saw he was appointed by a Republican president. Republican presidents made lots of mistakes on the courts over the years, and we know that. So, <laughs> yeah, that that's for sure. So, I mean, certainly, you know, his arguments definitely butt up with with those of of Clarence Thomas and others, and you know, this this concept of you know the individual right to bear arms, uh, you know, does have. Uh, a huge amount of sway in American history. It does seem to be a consistent thing. It's not something that was uh, cooked up by uh, Justice Anton Scalia and Clarence Thomas. This is something that you know has kind of been there uh, since day one in American history. It's certainly been a huge part 
of American culture. And, and to say otherwise, to say that, well, gun control has been the norm, has been you know what Americans have approached rather than gun rights, just really does not – uh, really does not come to terms with what American history is and what our legal tradition uh, is in this country. So to talk a little bit more about that, uh, we're going to bring on a guest who is writing a book about guns and American history and American culture and uh, some of its origins. So let's take a let's listen to that. So now we're joined by David Harsani, who is a senior editor for The Federalist, and is currently writing a book about guns and American history. Uh, thanks for joining us, David. Thanks for having me. Pleasure to be here. Uh, so one thing I, I think we'd like to discuss with you is this, uh, of course, this very, uh, uh, I'd say, explosive article written by a former Supreme Court judge, John Paul Stevens, uh, Supreme Court Justice John Paul Stevens, calling for a repeal of the Second Amendment. And in this column that he wrote for the New York Times, which, of course, we discussed very much on the show, Fred, um, he basically said that the, the Second Amendment is, is, a, is a relic from another time that is something that uh, maybe we need to get beyond that we need to repeal, and he kind of questioned the idea of the Second Amendment individual right to bear arms in this country. David, can you kind of talk about uh, the origin of the Second Amendment, uh, it, It's where its rights come from, and, and what it means in American history? Well, if you know, part of his argument is that if his part of his argument is that the Second Amendment is a relic of, of another age, that might be true. Um, but if his argument, and I think it is, is that the, the right of self-defense and the right to own a gun was never an individual right or thought of as an individual right, then he's completely wrong about that. The right to defend yourself goes back beyond the revolution. I mean, it goes back to English common law. Uh, it probably predates freedom of speech, press, religion, the ability to vote, due process, any of those things, the, 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 the right to defend oneself and to fight for those other rights has been around a long time. And obviously, during the founding, there wasn't a single framer who stood up and said, boy, we really need to limit the individual rights of American gun owners. It's just it's a complete fantasy. And um, the only argument they really had over the Second Amendment was whether the militias themselves would be um, under federal or state control. And that was the big debate. Um, most most states already had a you know had a you know in their constitutions the rights to bear arms and it was always an individual right so it's just a fantasy there was really no case that even challenged this until you know the 20th century so um i think that liberals quite often just think if they keep just saying that the history is different and different and 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 sort of embrace this revisionism that it will change uh you know will change the the dynamics of the debate today. Uh, I, I just don't think that there's a good case for it. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's something that I, I noted looking at a lot of state constitutions. I, I think uh, Vermont says the people have a right to bear arms for the defense of themselves and the state. Uh, North Carolina uh, says the people have a right to bear arms for the defense of the state. It's, I think this this uh, focusing in on this this idea that it only applies to 
uh, the militia. And I think that's that's the kind of emphasis that you see, especially now coming from the left, that this is not individual right to bear arms. It's something that relates specifically to the militia. I think it overlooks the way that the founders often uh, wrote, uh, especially in the uh, the Constitution, the Bill of Rights, and a lot of the states. Uh, the, the, the militia part is really the qualifier uh, for the part which is the individual right to self-defense, the right to bear arms. And I think that uh, a lot of, to a certain extent, the Second Amendment was both to protect an individual right, but I think as the founders saw it, also the kind of community ability to protect itself, that, that the states and the militias would have the ability to protect their communities, would have the ability to protect their countries, that this is not meant to necessarily be uh, an extreme limiting factor on uh, Second Amendment freedoms, that it was seen as, in many ways, uh, an empowering factor factor for for Americans who could uh, use arms to defend their states. Um, right. Can you explain a little bit, uh, David, about some of the early attempts to restrict guns and some of the uh, efforts to uh, affect gun control in America? Because I think that's that's something that's not really well known is uh, when gun control first started in this country and, and what its origins were. Well, I guess I guess the first really big gun control law was passed in New York City in the early 1900s. Uh, you know, quite often you'll see you'll see liberals bring up that there were ordinances in towns in the West where you had to hand over your your guns, um, which was true to an extent. I mean, these weren't laws that said you had to hand over your gun. These were laws that said if you want to enter this red light district over here or go into this saloon, you have to ha- hand over your guns. It's not as if. Uh, you know, a rancher had to go get a license to own a gun or to ask permission from the state to have a gun. Um, so that's one thing. And, you know, I go, you know, I get into that in, in the book quite in, in detail. But um, it wasn't really until the 30s where federal government and Roosevelt got involved in trying to regulate guns. And even then, you know, it, it, no one really argued that it wasn't an individual right to own a gun. I mean, um I guess in the 1930s, you had a lot of um, criminals running around in cars with with Tommy guns and so forth, and uh, a lot of people were scared. And, and you know, you passed some regula- regulations on, on machine guns or submachine guns and uh, certain kinds of rifles and shotguns. But uh, even then, no one really made the argument. I mean, I can't think of uh, anyone until very recent times making the argument that that gun gun ownership was a collective right in courts and winning, right? I can't think of any case. So uh, really, gun control started to rise when criminality started to rise. And that happened in the 30s and then again in the 70s and in, in late 60s. Um, but at the same time in the 70s, the there was sort of a reinvigorated you know, Second Amendment crowd and the NRA and all of that started to rise as well because they looked at criminality in different ways. One said we should take guns away from everyone, and the other side said we need to defend ourselves. So those were the contours of the debate we have right now, and that pretty much came together, I think, in the 70s. Um, yeah, David, I was Fred. I uh, wanted to ask you a little bit about uh, following up on the Justice Stevens uh, comments on which he called recently for the repeal of the Second Amendment. Uh, it was Justice Stevens who wrote the dissent in the uh, McDonald versus Chicago case that said the Heller case applied to the states through the 14th Amendment. Uh, he he essentially seemed to make the case in his dissent that states should have complete flexibility on this, uh, almost a very 
classic, almost an, in, in a negative sense, of the state's rights argument in which a state's right would supersede an individual right. Uh, do you think you could talk a little bit about that, uh, how this would apply to states and the uh, McDonald case as well? I think I, I hope that the precedent of the McDonald case ends that debate to some extent. But, you know, when Jacob Howard, who was a Michigan senator, one of the people who introduced the 14th Amendment uh, to ensure that the blacks of the South had their constitutional rights protected, et cetera, he specifically mentioned the right to bear arms because it was one of the most important rights that an oppressed minority can have to defend themselves. It was probably the one thing that scared Southerners or racists in the South the most, right? So, uh, you know, the idea that, that all of a sudden, state, first of all, obviously, the left employs the Federalist argument very, I guess everyone does to some extent, but, it's, you know, conveniently for them. But um, his dissent also argued that that the um, that the founders wanted the states to completely control uh, that they wanted to offer no limits to the states on how, what they could do with guns. I mean, there's zero evidence. He offers no historical evidence to back that contention up that I know of. So I don't know. I mean, I think a legal scholar. It's important for legal scholars to deal with that. Uh, I would just say that you know when we're when we're having this discussion over the Second Amendment. All the talking about rights is important. Talking about the idealism of it is important, but it's also important to mention the cultural aspects of it and the long relationship that people have had with guns in this country. It's completely different than any other nation, basically, and I think we often forget about that as well. Yeah, I think that there's certainly. I mean, obviously, American shares some uh, you know cultural relationship with Great Britain, Australia, Canada, but America really has been almost unique in this regard, different even than, than other countries in which you call the Anglosphere, and our uh, continual celebration of the gun, uh, uh, of the right to bear arms. And it, it's been such a, a, an integral part of our history. What do, you, what, do you, what do you attribute that to, David? I mean, what, what, why does the United States uh, have this long history of embracing guns like almost no country in the world? Well, it had a lot to do with the founding of the country. I don't just mean the, the the founding of the United States, but the initial, you know, pilgrims who came here, or even, you know, everyone who came here essentially had guns and needed guns to survive, to defend themselves against the Indian tribes around them. Quite often, not always, and brought with them, especially the English, a tradition of gun ownership. the The English Bill of Rights also gave uh, free men the ability, not all free men, but, you know, Protestants. And, and, you know, obviously there was there were these battles that they had religious wars that were being fought in England. But generally, they gave people the the right to bear arms and defend themselves. So they had a long tradition of of militias, of individual ownership of guns long before even the United States was formed. And they needed those for survival. They needed those to deal with the world they were in. So it was sort of embedded into their thinking from the beginning. But then, even during the founding of the nation itself, it, it was, you know, it was confiscation of weapons that caused the war to happen. You know, the powder alarm trying to take away the ammunition of, of uh, you know, of, of guns um, and undermining gun ownership in that way was almost sparked the war to begin with. And then when, they, you know, they finally kept British finally kept trying to 
uh, disarm Americans is when the war broke out. So it was it was a practical concern, but it was also obviously an ideological one. It was always uh, in almost all the writing of the founders um, and in their ideas an act of war to try to disarm people. And, and John Adams, when he was defending the Marine who was involved in the Boston, the British Marine who was involved in the Boston massacre, made the argument that self-defense was the the most important natural right that existed. So um, it was just embedded in their thinking, embedded in the you know thinking of the Enlightenment that one should be able to defend themselves and their property, which goes hand in hand. So you know from the very beginning, for practical reasons, because of the environment, geography, and everything else, and because of the ideology, it's always just been. A sort of uniquely American outlook, I think. Uh, Go ahead, Fred. Yeah, uh, David. Uh, just uh, just to put this in sort of the modern context with this march we saw recently in Washington. Um, uh, when, when the just got, I guess play devil's advocate on this, and I uh, get you to respond uh, beyond the history, apply it to today, in which those those people who were marching. Uh, Michael Bloomberg, others, other politicians have uh, said, well, that was the past. Uh, today we have these mass shootings. Uh, other countries don't have these problems. What's your response on that? Well, um, other countries do have mass shootings and murder as well. Um, and we we do have them, obviously, and they're horrible and they're tragic and they're criminal and uh, but they don't reflect the general um, sort of trajectory of gun violence. The fact of the matter is, that since the early 90s, and I'm sure you guys know this, you know, gun violence has fallen. Right. Um, I think there was a small spike lately, but in general, it's it's been halved or more. I forget what it is. And at the same time, there was a giant influx of of guns. So. There's really no relation between gun ownership. I mean, no, not no relation, but the amount of guns, the amount of of mass shootings that have happened. In fact, one can make the argument that the opposite is true as long in general. So, um, but it is true that if you have more guns, a person or a killer will have more access to them. Uh, the problem, of course, now is that because of our tradition. And the things that we just talked about, tons of people have guns in this. There are hundreds of millions of guns in this country. And trying to disarm people means disarming law-abiding citizens and not criminals. It's just very simple. So that argument just doesn't hold because you are leaving people defenseless. Now, if your contention is that you want to take all the guns away from everyone, you know, I guess good luck. But I don't think that that would be helpful in saving lives, and I think there's a good argument to be made that that it wouldn't be. And I also think there's a good argument to be made that we have a tradition that says you can't always be safe, but you can always be free. And that's a worthwhile argument to make. Do you think uh, this proposal, what someone of Justice Stevens' preeminence would say in terms of repeal the Second Amendment, do you think that at least uh, clarifies the debate in a way that it will actually in some way help the constitutionalist argument that someone is out there actually saying we need to repeal the Second Amendment? Because in the past, gun grabbers have often sort of phrased it in a very piecemeal, sort of le- less threatening way. Right, because th- this is incrementalism. And they, of course, most of these people want to overturn the Second Amendment. They just can't do it. It's like when people tell me they're democratic socialists. Of course you are, because we live in a democratic country right now. But that doesn't mean that that's your... <laughs> the end game of what you're doing. I think many activists, I don't know, I can't peer into the minds of most people on the left, but I think that the activist class 
and obviously the gun grabbers want to repeal the Second Amendment. They just some of them, like yesterday, you know, you saw a lot of liberals say, well, that column was unhelpful. Very few of them said, well, he's wrong on the merits. People do have an inherent right to defend themselves with a firearm. Um, so I think it does clarify the debate. But for me, at least, it's never been much in question. I think, you know, they constantly tell you they don't want to take your guns away. And then so they'll say, we don't want to take your guns away, you crazy, you know, gun nuts. Also, look at this great proposal in Australia where they took everyone's guns away. You know, it just it never really aligned. So um, I do think they want to take your guns away. The problem for them now is that, you know, people are nervous about slippery slopes. So they're very nervous to even give in on anything because they know what the end game is. And that and, and I think that gun ad, Second Amendment advocates are right about that. Absolutely. Well, David, thank you so much for coming on the show. We do really appreciate you coming on with us today. That was a pleasure. Thanks for having me. Thank you. Bye. Thanks to everyone for joining us on The Right Side of History. If you'd like to listen to past and future broadcasts, you can also check us out on SoundCloud, Stitcher, or the Daily Signal website. Also, take a look at the Daily Signal's Facebook page for when we air our next program. And if you are further interested in our work, check out my Twitter, at Jarrett Stepman, and Fred's Twitter handle, at Fred Lucas WH. Thanks again for listening. You've been listening to The Right Side of History, executive produced by Jared Stepman and Fred Lucas. Sound designed by Michael Gooden, Lauren Evans, and Thalia Rampersad. For more information, visit heritage.org.